We take up the reading again. We are almost at the end of this second part, part two of the story of Pilgrim's Progress. We have seen the departure across that river now of eight, I think the listing is right, eight saints that we have seen cross over, the last of which being Mr. Standfast. Then we take up to read today. Is that correct? Am I correct in that? We did read the passage of Mr. Standfast. We start today in the reading where Mr. Bunyan says, But glorious it was to see how the open region was filled with horses and chariots, with trumpeters and pipers, with singers and players upon stringed instruments, to welcome the pilgrims as they went up and followed one another in at the beautiful gate. Now, Scott, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did we not? Oh, okay. I apologize. No problem. We'll take up the reading. Did we Did we leave off at the paragraph? Uh, then there came forth a summons for Mr. Standfast. That's where we left off. Yes. Okay. That's fine. I had the, I had the, I had the markings, but not the dates. Okay. We take up then. Yes. Yes. That's correct. We take up Mr. Standfast. He is now by my reckon, my, my counting, unless someone uh, has counted and I'm incorrect. By my count, Mr. Standfast is number eight. That is the eighth saint that uh, Bunyan records. Uh, crossing over. So, Mr. Standfast, the summons came forth for Mr. Standfast. He is, according to my understanding, my, my study, he is the last in this uh, roll call of saints. He is the last to go. And Bunyan says, this Mr. Standfast was he that the rest of the pilgrims found upon his knees in the enchanted ground. And the post brought it him open in his hands. The contents thereof were that he must prepare for a change of life. For his master was not willing that he should be so far from him. Any longer. That's a precious thought, is it not? Think of Elijah he said he walked with the Lord and he was not. <laughs> uh, there's this idea that the Lord wants his saint to just come and be, be with him there where he is. There's certainly biblical evidence of that for that. Uh, in the scripture, and it's a precious picture that uh, Mr. Bunyan paints. Uh, I told you that I was talking this week with Brother Kevin Merritt about this dear gentleman who uh, 
passed away in his church this week. And uh, he was saying how that he had been first riddled with physical trouble. And then, of course, it degenerated and his mind became uh, riddled. And uh, we, of course, over the years, my wife and I and some of you have done so much uh, work in nursing facilities that you can identify with the things that he was telling me. He said that his mind had gone the last time he had visited him just a few days before he passed. And, and he said his mind had gone and he told him that when there was nobody in the room, he told Brother Kevin, he said, you know, there's nobody here. He said, yes, I know that. He said, you, you know it's because they're all in jail. He said, no, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, they're, they're all in jail, preacher. He said, when I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go visit them in jail. But his brain, his mind had begun to deteriorate. And he's falling away. And, and uh, he told me that about their visit there with the brother. And he was concerned about all these folks being in jail. And brother... Uh, Merritt said it was hard to, it was hard to watch. It was hard to listen to. But then in the funeral service, he said, there's no problem now with his mind. It's clear. No problem now with his mind. And, uh, the Lord had summoned him <clears throat> to be with him. And Mr. Steadfast received this post, and uh, he said he must prepare for a change of life, not a loss of life, a change of life. <laughs> for his master was not willing that he should be so far from him any longer. At this, Mr. Steadfast was put into a muse. Nay, said the messenger, you need not doubt of the truth of my message. For here is a token of the truth thereof. The wheel is broken at the cistern, which is a scripture text, of course. One of those many graphic, beautiful, poetic descriptions of death. The wheel is broken at the cistern. Then he called to him, Mr. Greatheart, who was their guide, and said unto him, Sir, although it was not my hap to be much in your good company during the days of my pilgrimage, yet since the time I knew you, you have been profitable to me. When I came from home, I left behind me a wife and five small children. Let me entreat you at your return. For I hope that you go and return to your master's house in hopes that you may yet be a conductor to more of the holy pilgrims. So let me entreat you at your return that you send to my family and let them be acquainted with all that hath and shall happen unto me. Tell them moreover of my happy arrival at this place and of the present and late blessed condition, I'm in. 
Tell them also of Christian and Christiana, his wife, and how she and her children came after her husband. Tell them also of what a happy end she made and whither she's gone. I have little or nothing to send to my family unless it be prayers and tears for them, of which it will suffice that you acquaint them if peradventure they may prevail. To the end he is pleading, suffering for the salvation of his family to the very end. When Mr. Standfast had thus set things in order, the time being come for him to hasten him away, he also went down to the river. Now there was a great calm at that time in the river. Wherefore, Mr. Standfast, when he was about halfway in, stood a while and talked with his companions that waited upon him thither. I thought about that description Bunyan gives there. It's not true with all saints. We've said it many times. I've said it many times here in this study. Not all saints die alike. Not all saints die alike. There is no one size fits all pattern for the way saints die. But some do die in this way. They literally get halfway across and stop. <laughs> I could relate something that I won't because these things are recorded. But I could relate an instant of that. Very recent with me. But they got, Mr. Stanfast got halfway across and he stopped. And from that place, he talked with those that were around him. <laughs> and he said, this river has been a terror to many. Yea, the thoughts of it also have often frightened me. But now methinks, methinks I stand easy. My foot is fixed upon that on which the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant stood while Israel went over Jordan. Hallelujah. We were talking about that phrase out of the end of Pilgrim's Progress 1 when he said, I found the bottom. And it's good. Dear Mr. Standfast said, I'm standing on a rock. I'm standing in a place where the Feet of the priest walked. I was afraid. I've always been frightened of this day. But I think now that I'm standing well. The waters indeed are to the palate bitter. And to the stomach cold. Yea, the thoughts of what I'm going to. And of yet, yet, yet the thoughts of what I'm going to. And of the conduct that waits for me on the other side do lie as a glowing coal at my heart. 
I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I'm going to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spit upon for me. Hmm. I formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight. It shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken of, and wherever I've seen the print of his shoe in the earth, there I have coveted to set my foot to. His name has been to me as a silver box, yea, sweeter than all perfumes. His voice to me has been most sweet. His countenance I've more desired than they that have most desired the light of the sun. His words I did use to gather for my food and for anecdotes against my faintings. He hath held me and hath kept me from mine iniquities. Yea, my steps hath he strengthened in his way. Steadfast here is praising God. (laughs) He has stopped in the midst of the river. (laughs) He stopped in the midst of the river. And he's praising God from there. White had a marvelous review of this scene. White said, was it, asked Bayet for truth and a holy curiosity, was it some special mercy that brought thee to thy knees even now? Remember when they met him? Yes, Valiant for Truth had exactly hit it. Gracious wits like great wits jumped together. Yes, confessed steadfast. I continue to give thanks for my great deliverance. And then White says, my brethren, you all pray importunately in your time of sore trouble. Everybody does that. But do you feel an obligation like Standfast to abide still on your knees long after your trouble is past? Nature herself will teach us to pray, but it needs grace and great grace continually renewed to teach us to praise and to continue all our days. To praise. How we once prayed, I, as earnestly and as concernedly and as carelessly as to who should see or hear us in steadfast himself. How some of us here tonight used to walk across a whole country all the time praying. How we hoodwink people in order to get away from them to pray for 20 minutes at a time all by ourselves, under that bush, it still stands to mark the spot. In that wood, long since cut down into a plowing land, we could show our children the spot to this day where we prayed till a miracle was wrought in our behalf. Yes, till God sent from above and took us as he never took a psalmist 
and set our feet upon the still more wonderful rock. How he, yes, he, with his own hand, cut the cords, broke the net, and set us free. Come all ye that fear God, we then said, and set it with all sincerity to. And yet, how have we forgotten what he did for our soul? We start like a guilty thing surprised when we think how long it is since we had a spell of thanksgiving. Well, I like that expression. That beautiful expression, having a spell of thanksgiving. <laughs> Shame on us, says White. What treacherous hearts we have. What short memories we have. How soon we forgive ourselves and so forget the forgiveness of our God. Brethren, let us still lay plans for praise as we used to do for prayer. If our friends will go out with us, let us at least insist on walking home alone. Let us say with Paul that we get sick at sea and besides that we have some calls to make and some small accounts to settle before we leave the country. Tell them not to wait dinner for us. Then let's take plenty of time. Let us stop at all our old stations and call back all our old terrors. Let us repeat aloud our old songs. The 25th, the 51st, the 103rd, the 130th, we used to testify, terrify people. We used to terrify people with our prayers as standfast, terrified young pilgrims that day. Let us surprise and delight them now with our psalms and thanksgivings. For with all our disgraceful ingratitude in the past, if William Law is right, we are even yet not far from being great saints if he is not wrong when he asks, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. It is he who is most faithful to God and who has a heart always ready to praise him. This is the perfection of all virtues. Joy in God and thankfulness in God is the highest perfection in the divine and holy life. Yea, what an endless cause of joy and thankfulness we have. Let us acknowledge it and henceforth employ it. We shall please God even yet be counted as not low down, but high up among the saints and servants of God. Hmm. Thankfulness. Mr. Steadfast was found giving thanks and praise to God. Such was his life. In such a way had he lived. Giving thanks to God. And now he comes to cross over 
comes to crossover. And we find that he stops in the middle and converses with his friends around him. And he asked Mr. Greatheart to go back and tell his family, tell his family how it ended for him and ask them to come with him. Bunyan says, now while he was thus in discourse, his countenance changed. His strong man bowed under him. And after he had said, take me, for I come unto thee, he ceased to be seen of them. Wonderful note, Scott says, and I give it to you, whatever your view may be. This is his view. He says this speech has been justly admired as one of the most striking passages in the whole work. But it is so plain that it only requires an attentive reader. It may, however, be worthy of our observation that in all the instances before us, the pilgrims are represented as resting their only dependence at the closing scene on the mercy of God through the righteousness and atonement of his son. And yet recollecting their conscious integrity, boldness in professing and contending for the truth, love to the cause, example and words of Christ, obedience to his precepts, delight in his ways, preservation from his own iniquities, and consistent behavior as evidences that their faith was living and their hope warranted. And in this way, the retrospect conduct to their encouragement. Moreover, they all concur in declaring that while they left their infirmities behind them, they should take their graces along with them and that their works would follow them. Thus, the scriptural mean, you know what a mean is in math? You kids have had, what is a mean? It's the middle, right? It's in the middle. The mean is the middle. The scriptural mean is exactly maintained between those who place their supposed good works as the fountain of their hope and those who would exclude even real good works from being so much as looked upon as evidential of their saving faith or as in any way giving encouragement to the believer in his dying hour. You understand the mean that White is talking about. The saint looks back and sees what God has done in their life, their lives, and the work and the things that they've entertained, and from that they draw some measure of comfort and consolation that, in fact, the grace of God has been active in their lives. But then the other end 
is that they lean not at all upon those works. They lean entirely and only on the sacrificial work of Christ in their behalf. This is the mean. This is the middle ground. This is where the real saint finds themselves in that dying hour. Very wise did Scott point out this to be the testimony of all of these saints as they pass over. McGuire said concerning the passing of Mr. Standfast, last of all, the message comes for Standfast, and he obeys the summons. Here all is calm and peace. No waves are buffeting, no agonies or pains of death. Still and gentle, but yet cold and bitter are the waters of the river. The dying pilgrim stands in the midst of the flood and speaks words of counsel and of ghostly strength that those to those he leaves behind him. He tells of the goodness of the Lord, of the joys of his countenance, and how he rejoiced to walk in the footsteps of his master. Such is the peaceful departure of the steadfast Christian. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Indeed, may the Lord grant it to be so. Again, I think there's most fitting If I could share with you the words of uh, White, White says of this scene, he's actually quoting. Lewis Stevenson said the touch is human and affecting, says Mr. Lewis Stevenson, in his delightful paper on Bagster's Bunyan in the magazine of art. Now this just opened a whole can of worms for me. I didn't know anything about this magazine, didn't know anything about this poem, didn't know anything about any of this. But White mentions it all. So my personal research assistant, my wife, was gracious to find it for me online. This is a photocopy of the front of the magazine. It was called The Magazine of Art, Volume 5, February of 1882. This is what White was quoting from Stevenson goes on to say and he's quoting he's quoting Stevenson from his article in this magazine 
By the way, do you who are lovers of Bunyan, liter Bunyan literature know that remarkable and delicious paper? <laughs> this remarkable and delicious paper. The Messrs. Bagster should secure that paper and should issue an edition deluxe of their neglected bunion with Mr. Stevenson's paper for a preface and introduction. Bagster's illustrated bunion with an introduction on the illustrations by Mr. Louis Stevenson, if I am not much mistaken, would sell by the thousands. <laughs> well, if you go and look up Baxter's Illustrated Bunyan, it is no doubt the classic uh, book of illustrations. The illustrations there are just breathtaking. The artwork that was done to illustrate Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, the recommendation here uh, is that it should be reproduced again, and this time use uh, Stevenson's introduction and description of it as a preface to that work. To my knowledge, that was never done. I don't know that it was ever done. I didn't find anything. She didn't find any evidence that that advice was ever taken. But Baxter's Bunyan... Uh, but in this in this magazine, the magazine of art, Stevenson did an article in which he described all of Bunyan's characters, and it was phenomenal. I read I read the whole thing. It was just absolutely phenomenal. The descriptions that he gives. White says, Lord Roseberry knows books and loves books. And he has called attention to the surpassing beauty of the English in the deathbed scenes of Pilgrim Progress. The, and every lover of pure, tender, and noble English must, like that foreign secretary, have all those precious pages memorized by heart. Were it not that we all have a cowardly fear at death ourselves and think it wicked and cruel even to hint at his approaching death even to a fast dying man, we would never let any of our friends lie down on his sickbed without a reassuring and victorious page from the pilgrim read to him every day. <laughs> I think that's good counsel. If the doctors would allow me, I would have these heavenly pages reprinted in sickbed type for all my people. Amen. Print them in big, bold type so the whole folks can read them when they're dying. Hallelujah. But I am afraid at the doctors. And thus one another, one after another of my people passes away without the fortifications of the foretaste that the deathbeds of Christian and Christiana and hopeful and fearful and feeble-minded and honest and steadfast would most surely have given to them. 
especially the deathbed, if I must so call it, especially the deathbed, if I must so call it, of Mr. Standfast. But as Christiana said nothing that could be heard to Mr. Standfast about his or her latter end, but just looked into his eyes and gave him her ring, so I may not be able to say all that is in my heart when your doctor is standing close by. But you will understand what I would fain to say, will you not? You will remember and will have this heavenly book read to you alternately with your Bible, will you not? Even the most godless doctor will give way to you when you tell him that you know as well as he does just how it is with you and that you are to have your own way for the last time. Wow, even way back then they were having to argue with doctors about how to die. Mm. But he says to his people, White talking to his church, he says, you tell that doctor that you're going to have it your way for the last time. I know a doctor who first, who first forbade her minister and her family to tell his patient that she was dying and the same time told them to take away from her bedside all such alarming books as Pilgrim's Progress and the Saints Rest and to read to her a reassuring chapter out of Old Mortality and Picnic. <laughs> Pickwick, sorry, Pickwick. It will no doubt put the best prepared of us into a deep muse as it puts Standfast when we're first told that we must at once prepare ourselves for change of life. But I for one would not for a world miss that solemn warning and that last musing time. When a person is dying, don't be a fool. Talk to them about dying. It will all be just as my master pleases. But if it, but if it is within his will, I shall till then continue to petition him that I may have a passage over the river like the passage of Steadfast. Or if that may not be now be, then at least give me a musing time like his. Time to think. Time to think. The post from the celestial city brought Mr. Sandfast's summons open in his hand. That was interesting, wasn't it? Bunyan said his came to him open in his hand. And thus it was that Standfast's translation did not take him by surprise. Standfast was not plunged suddenly without warning into the terrible river. He took the open summons into his own hand and read it out like a man. After which he went, as his manner was for a good while, into a deep and undisturbed muse. As soon as he came out of his muse, he would have great heart to be sent for. And then their last conversation together proceeded. 
No one interfered with the two brave-hearted men. No one interposed or said that Greatheart would exhaust or alarm steadfast or would injuriously hasten his end. Not only so, but all the way till he was half over the river, Standfast kept up his own side of the noble conversation. It is his side of that half-earthly, whole heavenly conversation. <laughs> I love how White described that conversation. He called it half-earthly, whole heavenly. <laughs> it is in his side of that half-earthly, whole heavenly conversation that I would like to have put into the suitable type and scattered broadcast over all our sick beds. Tell me, says Valdez to Julia in his Christian alphabet. This is the cover. The Christian alphabet. Now, if you search that on the internet, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. Worlds of stuff. But this is the one that White is referring to. Christian alphabet. Tell me, says Valdez to Julia in his Christian alphabet, have you ever crossed a deep river by Ford? Yes, says Julia. I have many times. And have you remarked how that by looking upon the water, it seemed as though your head swam so that if you had not assisted yourself either by closing your eyes or by fixing them on the opposite shore, you might have fallen into the water in great danger and drowning. You ever done that? You ever stood in a place where water's running fast? I remember Emery and Lachlan, they used to take them over to Star's Mill. Their mothers didn't know, but I let them cross it. That dam walked across it, and that water rushes. You can't see the dam. It's under the water. But if you walk straight, you can stay on the dam. And if you stand there and just watch that water running, after a while you start getting dizzy, and you got to look up and, and steal yourself and ignore the water. And this is what's being talked about in this ancient writing. He said, have you ever stood and watched water and you would have fallen in? You hadn't stopped looking at the water. Yes, I've noticed that. The response came. And have you ever seen how by keeping always for your object the view of the land that lies on the other side. You've not felt that swimming of the head and suffered danger and drowning. I have noticed that too, replied Julia. Now it was exactly this same way of looking, not at the black and swirling river, but at the angelic con conduct waiting for him at the further bank and then at the open gate of the celestial city, it was this that kept Stanfast's head so steady and his heart 
like a glowing coal while he stood and talked in the middle of this giddy stream. You would have thought it was Paul himself talking to himself on the road to Emmaus. For I defy even the apostle himself to have talked better or more boldly to himself even on the solid midday that Stanfast talked to himself in the bridgeless river. What a great testimony Stanfast had in this bridgeless river. He's kept stable, kept safe, even while he stood in the middle of a river talking. <laughs> well, that's a blessed scene, isn't it? That's a blessed scene. No wonder Scott said that many have justly said this is the most striking passage in the whole work. What a scene. Want to see. Can you die like that? Can I die like that? I don't know. I don't know. But I'd like to. Pray that we may die like that. We'll stop there. Is there any questions, testimony? comments very little left for us in this book Yes, sir. This was a crossing much like Mr. Sandfast. He lingered many days. Yes, sir. Often with his companions, you have that issue with Paul. That closing scene where he had finally lost his power of speech. One was conversing with the Regarding the glorious heaven. Yep. Amen. I remember that for the sake of the recording, in case they couldn't hear well. Brother John's talking about a book entitled The Memoirs of Halliburton. That's a more modern and real testimony, not allegorical, of a man that passed much the same way much the same way as Stanfast did. Lingered and watched his body die literally from his toes up. He watched himself die for days until finally it had reached the state as Brother John described that he had lost the power of speech in his throat. Hmm. But he was still giving testimony to what he saw on the other side. 
Would God that churches would go back to preparing people to die instead of building kingdoms on this earth.